0: Honor your father and mother, that you may live long on the earth in the land I am giving you. In fact, the psalmist calls that the first commandment with a promise, to honor fathers. Now, I want to speak a word today to our fathers. Now, let me see if I can get everybody here, Troy. I want to speak to fathers, to grandfathers great-grandfathers, if there is a great-great-grandfather here, a father-in-law, a stepfather, and a father-to-be. Did I miss anybody? I want to speak a word to our men, but while I'm doing that, ladies, I want you to pay attention because what the message will give today are some helps to us as as we look to our fathers. Now, if you look on the screen, hopefully, there it is. Today I want, I want to give to us what I think is lacking in our world, and that is a map to manhood, a map to manhood. Now, if we're going to do this, let's begin with a, some biblical principles. If you will, take your Bible and turn to John chapter 8, John chapter 8. Whereas this is not the text of the message, this is the principle that we need to put into our minds. John chapter 8. If you found that, stand to honor the reading of God's Word, because this is indeed God's Word. Jesus got just completed teaching about a number of things, and now he said, now the, the evangelist John says this. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed on him. That is, they were saved. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciple. Now, do you get the principle of that? If you're really his disciple, you're going to continue in the word. That means you're going to meditate over it. That means you're going to linger over it. That means you're going to apply it. And it says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I asked a special measure of your grace. Lord Jesus, I ask you to take the principles of your scripture and to open our hearts to its truth. I pray that you will lay aside our preconceived notions, and I pray that today will be a day of a new beginning, not only in this church, not only in our hearts, but in our country. For what it means to be a man. In your name, amen. Today I want to offer my gift to men, to dads. I, as I prayed about this, and as I've done all the reading over the past, hour, actually two years, I have been convicted that, that we men need to understand some things about being a Man, Now, today I just want us to kind of walk through. You see, our, our, our culture teaches us about manhood. In fact, some 30 men began two years ago a six-month journey to discovering an authentic man in a group called Men's Fraternity written by Bob Lewis. And we had a great time together. But today we find a skewed view of manhood. Now, I want to not get you too excited too quickly. I don't want you to get excited too quickly because this morning as we take this journey to manhood, here's here's what I want to say to you. The first two sections that you see in your bulletin are going to be the introduction. But we need to get our hands around it if we're going to become the men that God wants us to be. As I've already said, the culture today has a skewed view of manhood. So let's begin with the misunderstandings. Let's begin with the misunderstanding about manhood. You see, God created man in his image. And when man completes that image that God made us in, we become like him. We're reflections of him, and we show the world what God is all about. That's why it says in Genesis that he made man in his own image, and then he breathed into him the breath of life. Consequently, after the fall, manhood took a real hit. And today, our little boys are left to guess what being a man really is. Let me just give you three quick snippets of what the world thinks about manhood, and let's think about... And I, don't get mad. Okay? The first misunderstanding about manhood is that man who is a dictator. He's a dictator. Now we've all seen this guy. He is the guy that he may not be right, but he's sure. He ha- he makes decisions about everything. There's no debate, no discussion. It's his little world. He knows it all, he does it all, he sees it all. And the truth is, because you're in his little world, he's the boss, he's the hoss, and if you disagree with him, you will have to count the cost. You know what I'm talking about? Can I get that? amen? But there's also the opposite person. It is the doormat man. Now, the doormat man is the man that can't make a decision about anything. And the reason he can't make a decision about anything is he's afraid, number one, that he's going to hurt somebody's feelings. Or he's afraid, number two, that somebody is going to overturn his decisions. This doormat man is very popular in the church. I'm sorry for this today. I'm running a summer cold and it's about to kill me. And in the church, he'll be called like Christ because he's the sweetest, goodest, nicest man in the whole world. That's not good English, but it's accurate. But you know what? If you follow the man who is the doormat, You'll never find the Christ of the cross. You'll never find the Christ of the teachings, as we'll get to here in a second. Now, you're going to be offended at the third man that I see personally. It's what I call the deviant. This is the guy who who thinks that manhood is as bad as it can get. The worse he is, the more of a man he is. He goes to all the fun places, quote, fun places. He does all these things that that are just anti-God. I call him a deviant because he is so far from the image of God that he has deviated from the course of life. And by the way, I want to give a warning about something. Our media today teaches us that girls go for bad boys. And you know why the media teaches us that? Thank you. That is exactly right. I think he's heard bad boys before. Y'all know what I'm telling you? You know why the media is teaching us that? Because it's true. Given the option, given the option to, to date and to pursue a piano player or a singer or somebody that rides a motorcycle. Girl, so here's what I want to say, girls. As you will find out in a second, the feminine call to a man's heart Is a powerful call. And men, as we will discover in a second, will do whatever is required to gain the affection of the love of this life. Again, I call it a deviant because it's foreign to the image and the Word of God. That's the misunderstandings. Now I want us to talk about the mystery of manhood. The mystery of manhood. Why is it such a mystery? Because we lost it in the garden. When God put Adam in the garden, He He created him in His own image, and He blew into him the breath of life, giving him the image of Almighty God Himself. And then in the fall, if you follow it down through Genesis, you'll find that men after the fall began to take on another image. And that is the image that we're clouded with today. That is the image that our young men see from the older men. It is a broken image image but if we're going to regain it we have to understand manhood it's such a mystery because bob lewis told us this that men are confused now i know that some of our men took offense at that and said i'm not confused at all well if we if we compare our manhood to what the bible teaches about manhood you may find that we're more confused than we know and confused men are dangerous Let's talk about three things that will help us. There's a lot more we could say, but for the sake of time, I'm trying to keep this as, uh, uh, as um, not short, but as uh, concise as possible. First of all, I want to talk to you about the heart of a man. The heart of a man. What is it that makes that man come to life? What is it that stirs that man to such degrees That he will take action. John Eldridge in his book years ago, Wild at Heart, I don't particularly recommend the book. I think John has some issues with his concept of God, but I think he's nailed the male heart on point. He says the the male heart has an adventure to live, a battle to fight, and a beauty to win. There's that female influence. An adventure to live, a battle to fight, and a beauty to win. Now, if you watch Young Boys... From preschool all the way through high school, you know what you'll discover? You'll discover if they're out in the yard as young boys, what are they playing? Cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers. If they're not playing fighting, WWF. You got what I'm saying? As they get a little older, they begin to investigate all the things of the world because they're living out that adventure. And then when they get in their adolescence and post-adolescent years, they're... Trying to attract the woman of their dreams. Bob Lewis in the men's fraternity said something on the same uh, vein as he told us that a man has a a work to do, a will, a will to obey, and a woman to love and cherish. Can you see the parallels between those two? You want a man's heart to become to come alive. You meet those three challenges, and you'll see him blossom and bloom. And yet we're still faced, as we deal with the heart of man, we're still faced with what is a, a biblical definition of a man. What does it really mean to be a man? Now, can I just ask this? How many of you guys, ladies, you can't raise your hands, how many of you men were sit, sat down at some point in your young life and told what a man was? Uh huh. So, where did we get our concepts? We get our concepts from watching other people. We, we watch our dads, and we don't get to watch them much anymore. Back in, the, back in the day, before we got so technologically advanced, boys shadowed their dad and they watched him every day handle every situation. Today, we don't get that, that luxury. We call, it, we call it quality instead of quantity time. Let me just give you what I think is an accurate and biblical definition of man. A man who is one that accepts responsibility, rejects passivity, he leads courageously, and he expects a greater reward. That is God's reward. I know you're right and didn't get all that, so I will repeat it. A man is someone who accepts responsibility. He doesn't play past the buck. He rejects passivity. He leads courageously. And he expects a greater reward. Not something down here. Not a fat 401K. Big retirement. But he expects a greater reward. God's reward. Because of how he's living his life. That's the heart of a man. But then I want to share with you the hurt of a man. The hurt of a man. Don't be offended. But today we live in the day of the hurting man. You see, the Bible teaches us that man needs respect like he needs air to breathe. Now, a woman, she needs love like she needs air to breathe. But a man needs respect. And we live in a day and time when men have become disrespected. Oh, we're watching all the wrong... Watching all the wrong models for manhood. We watch the athletes. Hello. We watch the celebrities. We watch politicians. We watch all these guys and get our concept of manhood. And we walk away feeling empty. Because in large measure, these folks that we consider models are not really models of good at all. And in fact, the hurt of a man includes co- inside the church the american church i could challenge you that most of the ministry of the modern day local church is given to feminine things now not to be mean-spirited or anything but it was a logical development for in the early days of the americas the men went off to war because they had a country to build And the only man who was left in town in a lot of places was the minister. And he was ministering to women and children. And so the church, by nature, took on feminine attributes. In fact, David Murrah, you'll hear me mention his name again, a number of years ago he wrote a book, which some of our men have read, entitled, Why Men Hate Going to Church. And it speaks of the disappearing man inside the church. I want to conclude with the with the heading of a man. Where is it that a man's heading? Make no mistake, men are always headed somewhere. Yeah. They're headed to the, okay, van, they're headed to the river. They're headed to the woods. They're headed to the golf course. They're headed to the ball game. I'm talking about a little deeper heading than that. You see, the truth is because... A man is a man of action, accepting responsibility. He doesn't want to be passive. He wants to lead. And he wants to do things that evoke a greater reward. Because of this, a man is going to be on track trying to do something at all times. It's the way we're wired, ladies. We're not crazy. It's the way we're wired. God put us like this. And here's what I will tell you. A man who has no connection... With God through his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a man that's going to be headed in the wrong direction. So, now, that's all the introduction. Aren't you excited? So, I want to focus the balance of our time together on what I'm calling the map to manhood. I love maps. Me and you love maps like I love maps. I mean, don't give me these instructions to get somewhere. Don't say, go down that road till you see those beautiful orchids on the right. And you take a left and you go down until you see this beautiful blue refurbished house on the left. And you turn right. And 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 don't tell me you come over a hill and turn left. Has any man ever got any instructions like that? Yes. What do is take you a piece of paper and draw you a map. We men have loved maps since we were kids. We had treasure maps. We had hunting maps. We had maps to go fishing. Show us how to do it. By the way, our boys and our men are not wired the way that our public education system has us learning. Men are, are wired to learn by doing and not by sitting. And the first thing we do in the church when we get men in is we sit them down and we talk to them for 45 minutes. Hello? And we wonder why we're not meeting the men's needs. So what I want to do in the time that I have left is I want to paint us a map. This is an original with me. Again, I read David Murray's book, The Map to Manhood, and I, and I challenged it with Scripture, and it will help us today. Go ahead, Brandon, if you will. If we're going to... Get a good amount to manhood. We need to understand some things. How many of you know what these symbols are? The one on the right stands for man. The one on the left stands for woman. Now, we have to understand that God created male and female. He created them differently. It's not that one is better than the other. It's that they're entirely different. Men, that's a good place to say amen. That's what I thought. Men don't understand how women think. Women don't understand how men think. But I want you to keep this in your mind. What I'm about to tell you, keep in your mind generally and mostly because there will be some exceptions. But let's think about, focus on the right side, on the man's side. Here are some of the uh, uh, attributes that we consider being male. The aggressiveness, strength, goal-oriented, and even conflict. Men function a little differently than men. On the other side of the chart, look up there. Ladies like to communicate and communicate and... Co- no, communicate. They love family. They love nurturing. They love... Uh, they, they need love like they need the air to breathe, and they like harmony. They look at their Harmony for the women, conflict for the men. Can you see the, the problem there already? I want to compare, and here's what I want to say to you. I want to compare now. the map of manhood to mountain climbing. Draw us a mountain up there, Brandon. That's a poor excuse for a mountain. And then you see the pinnacle where we're headed and you see the starting point. Let's pause there just for a second. I want to draw to your attention that on the right side of the mountain is the male side. On the left side of the mountain is the female side. And you see us starting together. Now, if you were to take the book of Matthew... I'm going to do it just so you see what I'm talking about. Matthew has 28 chapters in it. It tells us of the life of Jesus. Matthew, scholars believe, is not written in chronological order of how things happened. It is a a coded sequence of the life of Jesus. 28 chapters. And in just a second, we're going to divide that into three sections as we learn about the three journeys that Jesus took. Everybody has a starting point. Jesus had a starting point on earth just like we did. He was born. Now, I've never understood that. If I'd have been God, I wouldn't have put him in a, a, wouldn't have impregnated a little virgin girl in probably what was a troubled pregnancy, certainly a high-at-risk pregnancy. I would probably not put him in this world as a baby where there were so many risks of that day. I would have probably seen him as an adult. You got what I'm telling you? But God's ways are not my ways. And he allowed Jesus to start just like we did. Now, man, if you really want to start your life right, go ahead, Brandon, if you want to start your life right, we need to start this trip up the mountain at the base camp. Salvation. Now, understand something. Salvation... Is not. Salvation is not just attending church, although that's a part of it. Salvation is not just about going to Sunday school or small groups or singing in the choir, although that's a part of it. Small, uh, salvation is not discovering your spiritual gifts. Here's what salvation is. It's listening to the voice inside of you when God speaks to you and He says, you're a sinner and you're going to hell because of your sin if you don't come to Me. And when you come to Me... I will come in and I will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I will save you. I will secure you. I will even set you apart, and I will strengthen you and give you everything that you need to to live this life. And most men in this room will t- say that you've that you have come to base camp, but I ask you men to look at deep inside of your heart. Do you walk with Christ every day? Do you know Him like He's your friend? Do you know Him like you're God? When things go bad, do you fall on Him? Or do you fall back on your old habits? There's a couple of problems with base camp. Now, if you think about it in mountain climbing, base camp is where you make the preparation to climb the mountain. And it's very important that you make the preparations because if you pack too few gloves, you could lose a hand. If you pack too little food, you could starve to death on the mountain. But what happens also is that a lot of people want to get to base camp, and they just want to stay at base camp. Hello, men? Just want to stay right there, hovering around base camp. But, men, let's look at the the journeys of Jesus today. The first journey that he takes is the journey of submission. We find his journey of submission in Matthew chapters 1 through chapter seven. Generally, during this section of Jesus' life, he learns to submit. I want to bring some, a couple of things to your attention. First of all, notice that once you get saved, that your journey takes you toward the feminine side of the mountain. the feminine side of the mountain. Must learn submission. And listen, men don't want. To learn submission. Hello? You take any man when he goes to his first job, he has a problem submitting to his boss. And yet, if you skip this journey of submission, you skip the very thing that makes you strong in him. You learn to depend on him. You learn to cast off your strength. You learn that in your weakness he is strong. And you learn to have your power under control. You know I used to ride horses. If you've ever ridden a horse, you have been the recipient of a gift of a horse trainer. Because that horse did not was not born to be ridden. It was not born what we call broken. But for the novice horse trainer, here's one of the things he has to be careful of. He has to not break the spirit of the horse or the horse is no good. He has to bring that horse under control. Do you know that's what the journey of submission is all about for us men? It's bringing the the power under control. It's a big lesson to learn. But I want to offer us a caution today. Many men on the Christian journey, get stuck right here. Because they believe, and they've been taught, that the more submissive you are, the more feminine you become, the more like Jesus you are. And that's only the first leg of the journey. It takes you every way that you want to go, man, toward submission. Submission. If you don't learn this lesson, one of the days you'll speak the truth, but without the love in it. The turning point for Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, the first seven words. Now, chapter 7 is where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 8 begins like this When he came down from the mountain. And at that point, he began the second leg of his journey, the journey of strength. You'll find His journey of strength in Matthew 8, watch this, through Matthew 25. When Jesus came down off the mountain, He was no longer the lamb. He was no longer the baby. He was no longer the submissive. Now, He took charge. And you find in chapter 8 that He came down and He confronted demons. He came down and He healed people. He came down and He touched people. And if you will just so you don't think I'm making all this up, turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. The people who ultimately had Jesus crucified were the Pharisees. Because Jesus was always in the face of the Pharisees. And in chapter 23... Now he has just we know the Pharisees were present because in verse forty one of chapter twenty two, while the Pharisees were together, Jesus questioned them. And then in chapter twenty three, that with the Pharisees there, Jesus turned his attention to the crowd and the disciples, and he said, The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore do whatever they tell you and observe it, because but don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. Then you go on down to verse 13 and watch this. It's called the seven woes. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You lock up heaven. You lock up the kingdom of heaven from people. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and make long prayers just for a show. That's why you'll receive a punishment. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to make one proselyte. Verse 16, woe to you blind guys. Guys who say, whoever takes an oath by the sanctuary, it means nothing. Verse 17, he calls them blind fools. Verse 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Verse 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You see, Jesus was confronting the evil of His world. You will never confront the evil of the world living only a submissive life. You will just let it go and let be whatever it wants to be. Jesus didn't do that. He knew God's Word. He he understood God's Word. He applied God's Word. He learned the lesson of submission. He submitted to uh, the temptations. He submitted to baptism. He got on the mountain and He talked about submission. But when He came down off the mountain, things were different. He was ready to confront the evils of this world. Notice something. You will notice, if there's only 28 chapters in Matthew, that the journey of strength is the journey that's the longest. It is the journey where men are called on to be men. Now, if you forget the lesson of submission and you just try to be men, you'll become a bully. But when you keep in your psyche that lesson of submission, and you start off on the journey of strength, You know what you'll do? Watch this. Sometimes you'll appear combative. Sometimes you'll appear demanding. And you surely don't worry about hurting people's feelings when you're standing on God's Word. Do you think Jesus hurt the feelings of the scribes and Pharisees when eight times he said, Woe to you, you bunch of hypocrites. You see, the reason that our country is such a mess today is because I believe that too many men have got hung up in their first leg of their journey and become nothing but submissive, and they got went along to get along, and they let everybody do whatever they wanted to do, and today we have a mess, we have a disintegrating country, and we're going to lose this world to the kingdom of darkness if men don't once again stand up and be men. Jesus ended this leg of his journey, chapter twenty five, as he started telling about the end times. He said there are gonna be some sheep and there are gonna be some goats. Men, may I suggest to you, may I submit to you that when we stand on the Word of God, now not on our personal prefaces, not on what we do you realize that so much of what we argue about, so much of what we get upset about has no eternal consequence? has no eternal consequence. It's just what I like and what I want. And you said something, Brother Terry, it hurt me the other day, so I'm going to be mad at you the rest of my life. Jesus said, there's going to be some sheep and goats, and you better recognize them. And then he moved to his final leg of his journey. That is the journey of Sacrifice. Matthew 26 through 28. In Jesus' journey of sacrifice, you'll find that he was abandoned by his disciples. You'll find that he was betrayed with a kiss. Someone pretending to be a friend and kissed him. You'll find he was bruised and he was beaten, he was spat upon, and you'll find he died. Now, men, please listen. Our journey of sacrifice may not lead to our physical deaths, but it might. It may be something as simple as turning loose of the strength that we once had and handing it off to the next generation. I want you to notice something about this journey. Notice that that's the shortest era. Notice that's the shortest part of the trip. Notice that it's also the steepest. Mountain climbers will tell you that that last leg of the journey is the most difficult leg. And many people, many men never want to get up there. And yet to be a complete man, it's required. God has called us today to be men, to know where we're going, to know what we're doing, to be connected to Him. God is looking for men. Now, He's not looking for good old boys. He's looking for good and godly men. People who put Him first. People who are willing to stand on the truth. Men who are willing to take hold. God is looking for a few good men. dying world could use is a willing man of God who dares to go against the grave and works without applause a man who raised that shield of faith protecting what is pure whose love is tough and gentle a man whose word is sure He need an orator who knows just what to say. He doesn't need authorities to reason Him away. The truth. And listen, the lines are open, and they want you to. Men full of compassion, who laugh and love and cry. Men who face eternity and they're not afraid to die because they know where they're headed. Men who will fight for freedom and honor once again. Our Lord needs a few good, godly, sold out men. It begins at the cross. It begins at salvation. Will you follow that map? Let's pray together.